0: Our guest today is William Christenberry, and um, I'm going to give you a little introduction of him. He is a multimedia artist whose work has been widely exhibited in the United States and abroad. Uh, Recent solo exhibitions include Passing Time, The Art of William Christenberry at the Smithsonian American Art Museum, and William Christenberry presented at the Palais du Beaux-Arts in Brussels. His work has been the subject of numerous monographic catalogues, books, and publications including William Christenberry's Southern Photographs and William Christenberry's Art and Family. His work can be found in many public collections in the Baltimore Art Museum, Corcoran, High High Museum of Art, Museum of Modern Art, Milwaukee Museum, San Francisco Museum of Art, uh, the Whitney Museum of American Art, and Christenberry has received his MFA from the University of Alabama. Um, He uh, now lives in Washington, D.C., and he works in Washington, and he just told me um, the Stedl, a German publisher called Stedl, who is uh, going to be doing a, uh, doing a book called Working From Memory, should be on his work and out in August, August or September. So we're really happy to have you here.
1: Uh, remember at the beginning of this, I think I'm an artist. I'm 30, uh, uh, 60, how old am I? Let's not talk about that. Uh, <laughs> up there in age and... and uh, Still working, still working hard. Uh, I was trained as a painter and as a sculptor at the University of Alabama way back in the early 60s. And um, uh, Sandy, my wife, and I have three wonderful children, and now some grandchildren. We've lived in Washington since, what, since 68. And it was a wise move because a place like the Hirshhorn, which wasn't built at that time, but other museums and the great museum city and getting better and better for artists, young artists and older artists who want to live here. We wanted to live here because we wanted to have a family and New York was near enough by and we never regretted staying here in Washington. But nevertheless, I'm supposed to talk about my friend, Mr. Friedlander. When I went to New York to live when I was single, in, what, 61, I met, well, I knew that the great photographer, some of you know his work and certainly know his name, Walker Evans, was still living, and he was the senior editor at Fortune magazine, and he would do photographic essays for Fortune and write little things, sections that went with the pictures, not describing them, but filling in here and there. He, by the way, was a very accomplished writer himself. But um, I had been very much influenced by Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, this book that A.G. and Evans had done when they had come to my home state and and, out of that came this classic book of literature called Let Us Now Praise Famous Men. It is one of the best examples of a visual artist, Evans, and literary artist, A.G., coming together where both things were co-equal. The text was not uh, illustrative of the photographs in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It is still regarded very highly as one of the very best books of that type. That book overwhelmed me, because what A.G. was doing with the written word was what I wanted to do in paint, and didn't know how to go about it and whatever, and I struggled with that but when I went to New York and I met Walker Evans he and his wife truly befriended me it took a lot of nerve for me to get up It took a lot for me to get up enough nerve to make contact with him but he seemed genuinely interested in this corn cone kid from Alabama and that's how that, that friendship began and our, as our friendship grew Mrs. Evans was often often invited me up to have dinner with them, and it was always good to get a good dinner because I was a starving artist. But Walker Evans once mentioned to me, he said, young man, you mentioned that you made color snapshots in reference to your painting. And these were large expressionistic paintings, uh, even for that day, at least the size of that big painting over there but very expressionistic, but with subject matter. Tenant houses, tenant farming houses, the landscape. I always said those paintings look a little bit like Soutine and de Kooning in the same painting, if that's possible. But anyway, he said, I would like to see those snapshots. That scared me to death. But one night they came down to my tiny little place in the village. I'm getting around to Mr. Friedlander here somehow. To my place in the village, and I laid out or handed him a box with these three by five-inch brownie photographs that I had dry-mounted on pieces of mat board, which was rather fortuitous. That was not for any other reason than I could tack that piece of mat board onto the wall and make reference, albeit a fleeting reference, to the photograph. And it all. But the main thing is it gave those original brownie photographs, substance, backing. And that was one reason they still exist. But anyway, here's the point and we'll move on. And he looked at these pictures one by one, very methodically. I didn't think he'd ever finished. Mrs. Evans and I were over in the corner making other conversation. And when he finished, he looked at me and he said, young man, there's something about the way you use that little camera. It's become a perfect extension of your eye. And I suggest you take these seriously. Now many of you, I hope, have followed the the surge of fine art photography into museums like the Hershorn, National Gallery, you name it, when at one time color photography especially, or even photography, was not looked upon or taken seriously. So when I went back to take a teaching job in Memphis, I continued making these little snapshots just for the pleasure of it, no other reason. So that's how I got started. And for you that use equipment, I don't know much about equipment, you don't have to know anything about a brownie, just click the shutter. Then I began using at the encouragement of my photographer friends, especially this gentleman, Mr. Friedlander, an 8x10 view camera, meaning it, you you had a large, you had an 8 by 10 inch negative, a very cumbersome camera, heavy tripod. Tripod weighed more than I did. No, it didn't, but it was heavy. So as time went on, my friendship with other photographers, William Eggleston in Memphis, with dear close friends from my years in Memphis. And then, of course, along came this man named Lee Friedlander from New City, New York which is a little town up on the Hudson. Very opinionated, very, not blunt, but his personality initially kind of put me off because I'm a soft-spoken southerner, right, Sandy? No. (laughs) But our friendship grew and grew and grew, as it did with the Friedlander family. So he has followed my work, and I've followed his work over all these years, and I'm so pleased to see this group of pictures here. Um, He's got, for me, a most unusual way of seeing. It's his own, a a most unusual way of composing. Just look at that, is that Balzac? I can't remember. Uh, In relation to the big structure behind, the sharp angles, the acute angles, this and that. And he makes a lot of pictures, a lot of pictures. I've never been around anyone that made more pictures and more exposures than Lee Freeland. So we, we still speak often on the phone, like on Sunday mornings and whatever, so we stay in close touch. So the other day, we were talking and I said, Lee, I've been asked to give a little presentation at the Hirschhorn Museum pertaining to your work. He said, you think you can handle that? I said, A no. lot. I don't know, sir. <laughs> no, he just laughed. He said, well, good luck. I'm glad I'm not doing it. <laughs>
0: and then, so if I could ask a question. Sure.
1: Um, and the question is. Maybe, and, and, and excuse me. Please, I'm not going to go on like this forever, maybe.
0: <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, we could probably ask have people ask the questions, too. But when, I mean, one of the things is he doesn't talk about his work a lot. And I just curious about um, if you know any ideas of why he doesn't like
1: he thinks that, like a lot of artists, that the image, the picture, whatever it may be, should stand on its own. It doesn't need the baggage of words or whatever. I, myself, as an artist, uh, can tell a story or spin a story around a photograph of mine or a sculpture or painting, and I can get away with it. They say, I'm avoiding dealing with the aesthetics of it, but just tell a story around it. And people prefer that. (laughs) Well, I'm not qualified to get into the aesthetics of it, in a way. But um, uh, he'll he'll do almost anything but talk about it. Uh, He's had some wonderful things, i.e., this book and others, written about it, about his work. And I think, not that this enters into it today so much, but he is a master of 20th century and early 21st century photography and art, and we're not going to distinguish or just make the difference between painting, sculpture, drawing and photography anymore. But I, I want to read you something if you will hold yeah to go to that, because I can't quote it exactly. And this is I want you to listen to it carefully and if you have any questions, I probably won't be able to answer it. Um, I have to introduce this and then get to his words. By his own admission Friedlander makes a great many bad exposures meaning that he chooses to print a very small percentage of what he shoots. He makes a second decision the first is whether to expose or not based on the examination of contact sheets He refers to both decisions as being more athletic than aesthetic. uh, Quote, Friedlander quote, I try not to think about it, to work intuitively. When I choose the negatives to print, I do it partially by whim. I let my eye do the thinking. This is the line I want you to listen to carefully. There is something elusive out there, and what you're doing is trying to get it on film. That is a very, to me, profound statement, and in many ways sums up his whole approach to to making pictures, to making art. And when we've been out in the country together, he wanted to see, well, I'll go back a little bit. Several years ago, I had planned to go to Alabama on a trip, and that's, as I said earlier, I think it's the only time of the year I make photographs. And we were having our almost weekly talk on the phone, and I said, Lee, I'm going to Alabama next week. Um, and he just said, can I go with you? I said, well, if you'd like, that'd be wonderful. So he met me in Birmingham, and we went down into my territory around Tuscaloosa and its surroundings. And I had a chance to work alongside him, or both of us together. And we were way out in the country in a special cemetery that I love, where uh, there are so many wonderful things in the cemetery that people have made by hand, not the usual gravestones of granite and whatever, but hand-made decorations on the graves. And in my part of the country, or at least there, the earth is mounded and it's red earth. And then they, somebody had made these flowers from egg cartons in the shape of uh, the egg carton cut and then stitched together. The most beautiful handmade decoration, I've never seen it anywhere in that one graveyard. So we're there one day, and this pickup truck comes up. Now I learned years ago that if you're in the country making pictures, especially if you've got a camera, you're a suspect. You're IRS. You're something. Better not say no good. <laughs> you can say whatever you like. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, and this pickup truck comes up, and I learned early on that when you're in the country like that. You go up and introduce yourself quickly because you're a suspect. uh, And I can understand that. So I go over and introduce myself. William Christenberry, Jr., just to distinguish myself from my father, who was well-known in that area. And the man said, hell, I knew who you were. I said, you did? How would you know? He said, I knew you were Christenberry. I said, how would you know that? By the shape of your nose. (laughs) That's just a little bit disconcerting, you know? But anyway, uh, We were admiring the beautiful grave decoration, and these are poor white people. And uh, uh, I said to the gentleman, I said, do you know who makes these flowers, these flowers from egg cartons? He said, that's my wife. I said, I'd like to meet her sometime when I'm here. And Lee said, how about right now? Now I tell that story, and I'm not quite finished with it, to show his wonderful sense of aggressiveness, but with feeling. Does that make any sense? <laughs> so I said, well, when, you, when we finish here, we'd like to meet your wife. So in a little while, we were finished. We followed his old pickup truck up this winding red Alabama earth road, red earth road. And here was this shack. Now, some of you know the great book, as I mentioned earlier, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men. The people there looked not unlike those poor white people of 1936, eking out a living in that red earth. And um, there came a point, we had not met his wife yet, and Lee said something to the gentleman in a nice way, I would really like to meet your wife. So he went, opened the door and called and she came out a few minutes and for you that know, praise famous men. The lady could have been from that era, that is the 1930s. And Lee insisted, or well no, he asked permission in this case that, that we photograph her, if we could photograph her. And I've yet to see what he did there on that spot, that moment. But I know he made some wonderful pictures on that trip. Again, my point is anything and everything is fodder for his eye. He can, whatever it may be, the most uninteresting thing, maybe to me, he can find something beautiful or interesting or exciting. So ask me some questions.
0: <laughs> I'd like to ask a question. I mean, one thing when we do look at these, could you say, my maybe knowing him and how he works, what, what would make these new are free- Photographs to you. What makes them distinctly yeah. You had said something about the. Did you say something about there's kind of uh, the jaggedness? the like, you, mention, do you Yeah, it?
1: sometimes, and sometimes it creates great tensions with the angles. I mentioned that in the in this picture. The round rounded form here, the slash of this. I mean, this is not unique, but he seems to carry that further or be more successful with that than a lot of other photographers. Evans, the great Walker Evans, and I tend to follow in that tradition, was very frontal. If he's photographing a front porch, it's very frontal. There's not, not, not much angular shifts here and there. But in Friedlander, sometimes you get these rather precarious things that almost make you tilt over. <laughs> Me as the viewer, and that's not a criticism. But he's just got that in his makeup. And he used, as you, most of you know, mostly he uses 35 millimeter Leica. That's been the standard camera, although he's he's associated himself a little bit with other kinds of cameras. But it's the 35 format that works best for him, he said. Go
0: ahead. Pardon? Also,
1: they use the shadows in the photographs. Oh, yeah the again the diagonal thrust of that shadow and i'm sure it's interesting that who whoever installed this which is a beautiful installation this vertical this shadow this vertical this shadow